So we've looked at Zechariah 13 and 14, and we've seen these three hinges. So the first one we talked about is the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself giving, becoming, God becoming human, and coming among us, living a sinless life, and then giving his life for us so that we might be restored to a relationship with him and that we could be changed, that is the that is like the beginning of of everything. And I've often talked about John ten ten. If you get the notes for this morning, you'll see some verses. Some of those I will reference, and some of those actually will be for your own study. But John ten ten says this. It was the first verse that uh, began my journey of faith. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now, when I was 13 years old and I heard that verse, I didn't really think about the thief. But now that I'm older, I've had a lot of things stolen from me. And, and uh, that, that's not necessarily a, a real thief that I could catch on video, uh, but things that were just taken from me, things that hurt, relationships, um, Things that didn't work out that I thought were going to work out. If you've ever lost a job, it's a hard thing. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and kill you. So you have an enemy of your soul who, who wants to see you destroyed. That means he wants to see you in a place where you do not have a relationship with God. But Jesus Christ came that he might start and put in place our redemption. And then we talked about the Feast of Booze and this whole idea of that in Judaism they have this celebration that looks into the sky, remembering two things. Number one is that they were in bondage and God had them in a journey for, to be free. And secondly, that one day they were going to see their Messiah come again. But now we're talking about the hard part, and that's the Jerusalem and the people as we go into Zechariah 14. And we talked last week, remember you were around in small groups, and we talked about government and our need for government. We do need government. Now, when I was growing up, I lived through the bicentennial. Any of you remember that? When I went to Brandon Park, I saw the red, white, and blue trash cans. Was that from, I mean, they were old, so that wasn't from 1976, was it? No. Okay. Um, but there was bicentennial stuff everywhere. It didn't matter if you were drinking a soft drink or you were buying something. It was red, white, and blue, everything in the bicentennial. Um, bicentennial trains, model train. I mean, there was red, white, and blue everywhere. And I have to admit that I have lived for years with a wrong concept of what it means to live in America. And let me kind of walk you through that a little bit, because I thought that since we were a Christian nation, therefore that we, and, and Jesus Christ said he was going to, in the end days, reach every people group, every nationality, every tribe and tongue on the earth. And so America, who had sent out many missionaries, would be this vehicle. And it was the perfect nation. 
Do I have to convince you this morning that government is broken? Do I need to convince you of that? Okay, so just a sideline, please, in this political season, be gracious. And remember that there is not any president or any legislature or any justice that's going to get the thing right. It's broken. And it's broken simply because we can't do it. And I'm wondering if God put America on earth to prove that there's just no way that any form of government is going to work without God. Um, I was doing a little bit of preaching there. Sorry for that. So it was 1976, and we had an election. And in that election in 1976, there were two people facing off. It was Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford. And I was very upset because my birthday was one week too late to vote. So I watched very carefully in the next four years as I got to the first time that I could vote. And um, so I had to wait almost four years to be able to vote. And it was the 1980 election. And in 1976, there was this man who came up and he said, I'm born again. Are you born again? We need to have born again people in the United States. And I said, rah, rah. Yes, and his name was Jimmy Carter, and I still remember this. It's kind of hilarious now that I think about it, but in one of the debate, Jimmy Carter said to Ronald Reagan, are you born again? And Ronald Reagan responded, what does that have to do with anything? He didn't say it like that, but basically he pushed it away, and I thought, oh man, this is evil versus good, evil versus good. And I, grew, I, I was in college, and I had an economics class, and Reagan was trying to say, well, there's a supply-side economics. I'm saying, that's not the way it works, right? Demand drives what, where you have to put income, right? Expense. Well, anyway, um, maybe I don't have to tell you who I voted for in that election. <laughs> I was on the peanut side. And um, I still remember because I was in Bible college and I, I, my politics was quiet. So I don't know how it came out, but sometimes you're sitting around and you start these collegial conversations. And when somebody on my floor found out that I voted for Jimmy Carter, they were like livid. And they were upset and they're like yelling at me. I'm not even, I don't even know what in the world I did wrong. Um, so it was the first time that I began to process what do I really think America is and their government is and how does this relate to Christianity? Because I had been putting my faith not in God but in what I saw happening in government. So with that, I love being a Mennonite. Because one of the great things about being an Adventist Baptist and in this line of faith is that there is the correcting of saying we live in a, for a spiritual kingdom and not a physical kingdom. Now, with that, 
we have a responsibility. That's the hard part. But when we have responsibility, the struggle is always with pride. The struggle is always with pride. So I want to tell you right this morning, and I'm going to use some terms, but Jesus is our universal health care provider. Okay, I'm going to say that a couple times this morning. Jesus is our universal health care provider. And the USA needs universal health. And we will get it through a Christian president, so that was my first thought, okay? We need universal health, and we'll get it through a Christian president because he'll get our morals right, he'll get our relationships right, he'll get our economy right, and he'll get health care right. That was my thought, how wrong I was. And in and, and what I'd forgotten is that, so what happened up to the 1980 election is that we had an energy crisis uh, so that my 35-cent gallon of gasoline, and some of you are older, so yes, you paid a cheaper price. Um, not only did it more than double, in fact, go up four times, but sometimes you could not get gas. The, co- the generation today doesn't even know what it's like to say, hey, you can't get gas, I'm sorry. And there were lines when people found out that a gas station had gas, there were lines, long lines, hoping to get the gas before it, it was gone. How crazy was that? There was economic upheaval, and you'll remember what happened in Iran. So those are things leading up to 1980. And... It really speaks to me about the fact that, number one, government can't do it right. But as, I was, as I've been processing that, the truth is, is that any type of human leadership breaks down without Jesus Christ. So I could go through a lot of stories about how I thought, Okay, well, I'm going to do my family right. You know, my parents were divorced, and I'm, I'm going to get marriage right, and I'm going to get children right, and I'm going to get church right, and I'm going to get community right. And it, didn't, it, it took a few decades to get through my head, but um, I needed Jesus, and I thought I had him but I wasn't letting Jesus in. So this morning, as we talk about the second coming, as we get into the text, I just want to bring you to the place of looking at this from a picture of, we need Jesus, and this conversation about Jesus is not going to be easy. So I'd like you to turn to Zechariah uh, 14. Jesus is coming back to deliver comprehensive, prepaid, universal health. He is. He is our hope. And he's not Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) Now, if you have your bulletins there, as we head into Zechariah 14, you can fill in those first two slots, which actually you saw were in your bulletins last week. Number one, universal health. So as I'm talking about it this morning, universal health means that hurt will be vindicated. Hurt will be vindicated 
And secondly, warfare must be accomplished. So even in this verse, John 10.10, when we talk about an enemy, God's got to do something on on a destructive level to take care of evil. Evil needs to be taken care of. Guys, we are not, we have knowledge and we are not getting better. I grew up in a time where like the more knowledge, the better, the more education, the better everything will get. It's getting worse. And we have more information and more knowledge than ever. It's exploding. So let's look at Zechariah 14. Behold, the day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights in a day of battle. Now we're going to need to look at those verses again, but just... Think about what we just read. God's people will lose their possessions. They'll be taken captive. They'll be put under new government, new rule, and it won't be friendly. They'll be raped. They'll lose their dignity. They'll be attacked by a conglomerate of nations. And then yet, there will be a remnant that will remain under Jerusalem's rule and protection. Now, without going too deep here, God is revealing something on a level that's physical, and he's also revealing something on a level that's spiritual. Because in the middle of even the worst persecution, God always has a remnant. God always has a remnant. And what we're seeing today in our world as we were praying for missionaries this morning is that that remnant around the world is being persecuted on a higher level than we have ever seen on a worldwide uh, basis. But in this, so these are some difficult, difficult truths that give insights into God and into what, who Jesus is. And they're difficult to swallow But they are very real and they reveal something about God that we need to understand. And it will help us to look forward to Jesus' second coming. So let's read through this again. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This is hard. Why would the Lord let this happen? Well, let me make it a little more practical. Why would the Lord let someone be murdered within 150 feet of my home? Why would the Lord let someone walk through cancer? 
get it? So I just want to kind of throw it out there so we can move this conversation. And why would the Lord let these things happen? Do I have a volunteer to? Karen. When I was 17, my mom um, passed away from cancer. And she was a woman who was very stubborn about Christianity um, and would ridicule my sister Kelly, who was the first one to really come to faith in our family. And she was very hard on her about being a Christian and going to church. But that whole experience for her actually led her to Christ. Because she needed peace and she needed comfort and she couldn't get it any other way but through Christ. And in that testimony, it opened the door for me to have a really good relationship with Tim's mom, who also died of cancer. But there's a testimony behind everything we go through that can relate to each other. And that's been my experience. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, so Holly, who said it very quick so she didn't have to grab the microphone, probably. <laughs> Hard times draw us closer to the Lord. Well, I, I bring up this question because it really speaks to who you think God is, right? If God is the one who's always going to make your life easy, then he's really a tool. He's really a tool. And we love tools, but we are only adequate to use tools the way that we know how to use tools. And God is the one who created us, so he is not a tool. So this is what we find out about the Lord. Uh, let's go down to verse 3, and let me jump ahead here a little bit. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights in a day of battle. So if we look at this whole picture, we look at the Lord. The Lord has the power to overcome the League of Nations, but he waits. The Lord seems to prefer some over others. Half get dispersed, and half are not cut off. And the Lord doesn't seem to have an understandable purpose for his actions. So even as we're talking about it, we still are trying to come to a conclusion that says, this is a good enough conclusion to say that this belongs to God. Might I add that, thank you, Karen, for your testimony. Wonderful testimony. But it doesn't always work that way. Yeah. 
So could I kind of stretch you a little bit this morning? Because what I love about this prophetic word is that it's very realistic to human life. It really is. If we have a rosy-colored glasses as we look at life, we are going to fail our souls, we're going to fail our children, we're going to fail our neighborhoods, and we're going to fail our churches. What Jesus provides is a holistic health care program. And might I say that he wants to include us. He wants us to be part of it. Now, before I go on a little bit further, let me jump down to verses 4 and 5. So what you just heard was part of what was supposed to be talked about last week, and I'm kind of meshing these two things together. Now we have this statement that Jesus Christ is coming back. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Now, for those of you who want to dig a little bit deep, grab these handouts, and I have some uh, verses there that had to do with the earthquake during the time of Uzziah. So universal health care means what? You flee, and Jesus comes. Now, Jesus, couldn't you come before we have to flee? So you flee, and Jesus comes with his heavenly host. This is just not easy. If he's going to come, why not come before I have to flee? And if you're going to come, um, what's this with the splitting the mountains, you know? But on the other hand, when Jesus comes, there's a place to flee to, and it's his mountain. And he's making the way. So I love this picture because here is Jesus coming from the clouds, coming onto the Mount of Olives, and the whole earth quakes and responds. A mountain is split in two, not blown up like Mount St. Helens. It's split in two, and you get to flee to God's mountain for protection. I'm just wondering 
if maybe we haven't come to the place as God followers where we're desperate enough to be able to see what deliverance we really need. And that's in a big picture. So the Lord is coming again, but why is he waiting? And could it be that he needs you? So I have a couple stories here. Um, you look at me as a pastor. I, had, I was counseling some people in my early days, and when I told them that I wasn't perfect, they, like, oh, they were shocked. <laughs> of course, obviously, they never had a conversation with my wife or my kids. Um, listen, I have been a believer a long time. I came to Christ when I was 13. It began my faith journey. It started with that John 10, 10 verse. But if I, when I look back at that whole journey, many people might have looked like I was a great follower of Christ, but you know what? I, I wasn't. I don't know where you are today, but we can hide stuff inside of inside that we do not let Christ in. And the Lord has to do stuff to bring us to that point. And honestly, really, I mean, as honest as I can get, sometimes it's the really bad stuff that gets us to the point where he lets, where we let him in. And when I say today that I'm walking with Christ, it's not because I don't screw up every day. It's because simply I'm willing to say, Lord Jesus, shine your light in me today and include you. And when we include others, that's always dangerous too because you might really be angry at me because I said something this morning. And so some of it might be tainted with your flesh and some of it might be tainted with the Spirit. And, then I, and, and, and I, I have to be able to let the Christ shine light through all that. God wants to use you. He wanted to use me. He wasn't, he wasn't really using me in a way that I could have imagined. And honestly, um, the story I'm going to tell you right now is nothing of my own work. So you guys know last year that um, I had this journey where I was going to go to Africa. I was going to go to Africa with Fred Hartley III, and we were going to minister in Africa, and we were going to minister to a group. And about, uh, about a month and a half before it happened, Fred called me up. He said, I'm not going. And uh, there was some dialogue back and forth, and Pastor Willie from Africa was a little bit upset, and I'm feeling the tensions. I'm going, what do I do, God? I mean, honestly, I've never been out of the country. I've got to fly. I, I don't know what to expect. And you gotta, if you've ever been to get a yellow fever, like, the, okay, if you, if you have to be vaccinated for yellow fever, they basically say, we don't vaccinate for yellow fever. You have to become part of a test. And I had to go to Pittsburgh to become part of the test, and then they tell you, listen, you know what? Whatever you do, don't eat the food there. Don't drink anything there. 
Oh, you can have, you can have coffee if they, you see it boiling right in front of you, and you can have soup if you see it boiling, and, and it's got to boil for, and they tell you how long it, I mean, they really freak you out. And when you sleep, make sure you have a net over you, and uh, that's for the malaria, and I mean, it's crazy. And I have some stories with that, but I'll skip the stories. So I said, yes, I'll go. And uh, it, it was a wonderful time, but I have to admit, when I was flying back and my restless leg was kicking in again when I'm squeezed in, you know, in these huge planes with all these people next to me, I'm going, God, did you use me? Um, I had a great translator the first day, and, and I mean, it, it, it went really well. But um, after that, like, they had all kinds of different translators, and Pastor Willie's going, no, you're out. No, you come over here. No, you're out. And I'm going, well, what, are, what am I getting translated? I mean, who knows? So this February, I just came from the College of Prayer, and uh, Pat, this is the first year that Pastor Willie, who I ministered alongside, and, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but we did develop. A, a rapport where we were working side by side. It was a wonderful thing. But Pastor Willie, for the first time that I'd ever gone down to the College of Prayer um, Unite conference, wasn't there because they couldn't pay for him to come. Um, but there was a young man from Goma who was under my teaching, and um, he came up to me, Pastor Dale, Pastor Dale. I have to tell you this story. Now, in Goma, they have a group of believers who are trying to negotiate with the military. So what the military is doing is they're grabbing young kids out of the cities and out of the towns, and they're putting them in the military, and they're making them murder people, and they're making them do all kinds of things, and they're indoctrinating them. So they've formed a team where they're trying to negotiate, where they find families, and they, they know there's a kid, and then they try to negotiate for the kid. And then they kind of have a safe house, and then they disperse the kids back to their homes. Wonderful ministry. I had no idea this was going on. He said, Pastor Dale, I have to tell you about this, this situation because we, we were doing this. We had this safe house, and uh, there was one young man there, and he said, I can't, I'm not going home. I can't go home. And Pastor Patrick, through a period of time, found out that the man, young man, wouldn't go home because he knew his parents would kill him because he was told to kill his brother and his sister, and he did. So they had, they had dispersed all of the, all the young men except for this one. And uh, finally it just came to Patrick. He said, well, can I talk to your parents? And the young man said, yes, you can talk to my parents. So Patrick went and talked to this young man's parents. And this is what he told me in powerful tears. He said, Pastor Dale, when I talked to those parents, I did not know what to say. But I remembered when you taught on forgiveness. And I remember how when you taught that it was not about that, that God forgets our sin, but he removes it from the relationship. I told the parents that. 
And the parents looked at me and they said, we cannot have our son come back into our house. But because of your talking about forgiveness, we will do it. And uh, he said, Pastor Dale, when, when I brought this young man to his parents, you would not believe, you would not believe the reconciliation and what happened. And I mean, he's bawling, I'm bawling. Because I, w- I would have no idea. And, and I don't say that from a standpoint of being superior in any way. I would have never imagined this a year ago, two years ago, that God could use me in such a powerful way. See, we have been placed by our Lord in this time. He is waiting because he wants to reveal the authority of his health now in this place at this time through you. You can be used by your God who created you. And this is why Jesus is waiting. And it's in the middle of pain and murder and rape and stealing. God wants to show us that when he puts his spirit inside of us, he has stamped holiness in a frail being. You're frail. But if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're holy. And he wants to show it. And one day, all the world all the universe, all living creatures who have ever lived will see the testimony of what Jesus has done to restore a broken humankind. The Lord is coming again. Why is he waiting? Could it be that he needs us? Now, I I know that in me, I have this deep desire to see the Lord come. My goodness, I have too many things that I'm worried about that I'd like to see the Lord take care of, and I would be glad not to have to live for the next 10 years. Jesus is coming again. There is, a, there, is a, there is something inside of me that says, Lord, come today. Maranatha, come, Lord, come quickly. But there is this voice from heaven saying, I need you. I need you for 
your relationships. I need you for your wife or your husband. I, I need you for your parents. I need you for your children. I need you for your neighbor. I need you for your city. I need you for your state. I need you for your nation. I need you for the nations. I need you. This is no accident that we are living in this time because our Lord needs us. But not to try to do something outside of what he can do. We are his, he is our only strength. And that takes courage because we can plan how a conversation should go with a broken relationship, right? I mean, we, we can think that through and plan it out. It won't work. We can think of how to mend a family. We can think of how to mend a community. We can make all kinds of plans, but without the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be futile, just like our government. We need Jesus, because Jesus is the universal health care provider. And one day we'll all get to see it. And it will be a wonderful thing. Amen?